Well, we, uh, we uh, took a break, or at least I took a break for the month of December and from the book of Matthew, and we looked at Christ and Christmas in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Last Sunday, we were taking a look about Jesus who never changes, about uh, the faithfulness of Christ yesterday uh, gives us hope to look to the promises, his promises for tomorrow as we come into the new year. And let me just say, it's, it's neat that none of you have missed a Sunday service this year. That is so awesome. And God, God is faithful. We're, we're going to go back into Matthew, if you will join me, uh, back in the 22nd chapter of Matthew. We've been uh, making our way through Matthew for quite a while, not hardly a year, I don't think. I, I don't know. I could be wrong with that. But, but I hope and pray that it's been exciting to you as it has been exciting for me. I've never before preached through the book of Matthew. And, um, and so it's, it's been really, really, really neat. We're, um, as we've gotten to the 22nd chapter, we're gonna pick up in verse 34 today. And where we are in, in, in the time frame is that we are in the, in the last week of Jesus' life uh, before the crucifixion and, and the resurrection. He's, he's come, came to Jerusalem the triumphal entry there with, uh, with the people welcoming him, cleansing of the temple. And we have watched as, as, as just like almost like a, a, a boxing match that the Pharisees and the Sadducees have just been tagging out, man, just going after him, after him, after him with questions, trying to trick him, trying to trip him up, trying to find any way that they could uh, use Jesus' own words against him so that they would have justification for his execution. And, uh, and not only have they been just almost taking turns, but we've seen them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are almost the polar opposites as far as their theology, but we've even seen them come together with one common enemy, Christ, trying to trip him up. And so that's kind of where we pick up this morning with verse 34 of chapter 22 of Matthew. Let me pray and then, and then we'll start right there. Now, Father, uh, we, we welcome your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you, you be the preacher? You be the teacher. Unless you do, we're all in trouble. Give us hearts that are tender Give us minds and wills that are anxious and, and longing quickly to obey what you speak to us through your word. In Christ I pray, amen. We're going to pick this up at verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Remember the last question that we looked at was the Sadducees had, had came to Jesus with the, uh, act, with the story of a, a woman who was married to seven different brothers. And finally, the, the lady died, bless her heart. And, uh, and, and, and their, their question to Jesus was, in the resurrection, which one of these men she you going to be married to? And again, the Sadducees posed this, and their, their, their religious sect didn't even believe in the resurrection. So it wasn't about seeking truth. It wasn't about, it's was all about tripping him up. And the Pharisees must have been, again, uh, in, there was part of them that were just delighted to see his answer. And the, the Sadducees just kind of dropped their mouth open and 
that. But the other part of them was anxious to get back at it. By the way, Nate, you did a good job this morning. I know you're headed back to uh, Palm Beach Atlantic to uh, serve the Lord down there in that climate. Somebody has to, you and Karis and these others there. So uh, that's where they were. And then verse 35 says, then one of them, one of the Pharisees, which was a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, it's interesting. I kept, I read this and I kept thinking, <clears throat> what was the temptation? I mean, how, how were they going to, again, it, it shows us here that his, he asked the question, not really interested in the answer because he thought that no matter how Jesus answered this question, he had him. And, and the more I look at it, the more I'm, I'm, I'm believing that he's thinking if he can get Jesus to pick one law as being more important than the other, then he's going to alienate somebody. There's going to be, there's going to be grounds to, uh, to find fault with his answer. That's, that's what he was saying. Just answer this. We're going, to, we're going to get you because no matter how you answer it, we're going to, you know, we're going to impanel a grand jury. We got you. So they ask him this question, and uh, it's so amazing to me. Jesus' answer is, uh, he's amazing, by the way. Isn't, isn't he amazing? It's an amazing uh, Savior that we have. But uh, his, his answer is, is amazing to me in, in two or three different ways. The first way is that Jesus answers him by going back to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Jesus takes him back. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse, verse 4 through 6, are scripture that every Jewish child was instructed in and was strongly urged to memorize. They committed these verses to memory. Uh, like, kind of like we would do John 3.16, you know, with our kids. Uh, and we were saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. And one of the first songs that our kids learn, and we never get too big for it, but the truth of that in John 3.16. And so Deuteronomy chapter 4 would have been scripture that, that was been very familiar. So he goes to Deuteronomy 4, or 6, starting with verse 4, and this is where Jesus is quoting to him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Now, not only would, would each of the Jewish kids have memorized this scripture, but the Pharisees, the Pharisees had a little leather box, almost looked like, that they would have worn on like a headband, kind of like we wear sometimes night lights. You got night lights or uh, trail count, I don't know, what are they, whatever they are, you wear them up here. What do they call those things? Headlamp. Kind of like that. And on special occasions, they would have worn this. And in this little leather box that every Pharisee had, that they would wear on special occasions and often a lot of other times, was parchment. And on pieces of parchment. And on these pieces of parchment was some particular scriptures that were written in every Pharisee's box. 
Phylactery, I can't say it. Phylactery, there's a word for that. I was just afraid I'd mess it up. So it's safer for me just to call it a little box. Say it again, Denise. Yeah, that, that, that's what they had there. <laughs> Included in the scriptures of every Pharisee was these verses from Deuteronomy 4. Or 6, 4, 5, and 6. Those scriptures would have been written on parchment and have been inside that box. So he's asking Jesus a question. This is so cool. And Jesus is answering him with the answer that is literally almost right in front of his eyes. Isn't that so cool? That is so cool. And as he's answering this, as he's answering this guy this, uh, it, it, it's, it's going back to... to uh, Wow, I, yeah, I know that. And it's probably just like we would do when somebody starts quoting John 3.16. We're saying that re, you know, with him. And it's so interesting to me that when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest? What's the greatest? That he, and I'm thinking about people ask, what, what, is, what does it take? What is being a Christian like? What is, what is the most important thing you do? Jesus starts out not by what we should not do. You know, he didn't start out with a bunch of, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't, do, can't look like this, you can't smell like this. Can't. He didn't do that. He started out with first things first, a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because Jesus knows, and we, we know this, we should know it by now, right? That until our relationship with the Lord is where it needs to be. None of the other relationships in our lives will really be where they need to be. Oh, we can work at them. I'm not saying you, can, you, don't have, you can't have good relationships with, with other individuals if you're, if you're unsaved. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that when our relationship with the, when you know when we know who we are in Christ, when I know that he loves me, it frees me up so that I don't have to go around trying to prove to other people how significant I am because my significance is not in what other people think about me but it's in who I know I am in him and Jesus loved me that little song Jesus loves me this I know because the Bible tells me so when we know who we are in him it frees us then to love him but he says not only that he says you need to love the Lord And I've looked at this, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. One of the others, and there's parallel passages here in Mark and in Luke 10. We're going to Luke 10 in a minute, but there's parallel passages of of this incident. And one of them says, with all your strength, everything. We're just to love someone. Someone has said that while it's said money makes the world go round, but it's love that makes the trip worthwhile. And not just any kind of love. I'm, I'm so aware this morning, and I think you are too, that all of us want to be loved. All of us want to be significant. All of us want to be affirmed. But there's so many people that are looking for that affirmation. They're looking for that acceptance. And they're looking for that love in all the wrong places. And, the, and I'm concerned that what they're finding oftentimes is not Christ's love. It's not the love that Jesus is talking about, but it's a perversion of that love. 
And instead of knowing who they are and instead of coming away with hope and with excitement and with anticipation, oftentimes they're left with um, disappointment. Maybe sometimes even an emptiness or or a feeling of being used. It needs to be his love. His love for us. Well, loving God is about, I believe, is about, from what he talks here, is about letting him be first in our lives. Having, um, having the way we live be a reflection of who he is. See, verse 7, go back to this verse 7 here uh, of Deuteronomy chapter, chapter uh, 6, says this. It says, and thou shalt teach them diligently to your children, and shalt talk of them when you sit at home, and when you're out doing stuff, and when you go to bed, and when you get up. What's he saying? All the time. That's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what God was saying to, the, to Israel. That's what Jesus was saying to this Pharisee who asked him. That's what God's word says to us, is that our worship of God is all about our heart's affection, our mind's attention, our will's ambition, and our worship and love of God is, is, is a lot more than just what we say. It's a lot more than just what we sing. I love the songs that we, that we sang this morning and that we sing. They bring glory to him. But our worship of the Lord is more than just something we do on Sunday morning at a certain time or with a certain section of the service. Our worship of him is a reflection of all we are and all we do about who he is. That's our worship of him. From when I wake up to when I go to bed, it needs to be our, our way, the way we live is a reflection of what part God has or Christ has in our lives. Loving our Lord is, um, is surely the foundation. But the answer that Jesus gave this Pharisee had two parts to it, two parts. The first one was, you got to love God with everything that's within you. And then the second one, though, and it's, it's interesting to me, because, again, Jesus had the opportunity here to say, now, once you've got that, you've got loving God down and, you, and with all you, who you are, then let me tell you what you shouldn't do. He, 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 had, he had that opportunity. And, again, God's word gives us directions in our life and, and decisions we make. But the second thing he says, and the second thing he said is like to the first. He says, and that means you'll love your neighbor like you love yourself. Loving others. Loving others. Once we love him, out of that relationship with who God is in our lives, I believe flows a relationship for people and a love for people. Well, as you answered him here, and I want to go to the Luke 10 account, because Luke 10 account, again, is, a, is the lawyer, probably the same thing, same question here, uh, and we're going to pick up verse 25, who, who comes to Jesus and said, good master, what good thing do I need to do to have eternal life? In other words, we'd say today, what do I need to do, man, to be saved? What, what do I need to do? What am I, what am I missing? And Jesus asked him, look what Jesus asked him in Luke 10. Jesus said to him, verse 26, what does the law say? What do you, how do you read it? Now, again, this was, an, this was a lawyer. 
That's, that's right up his wheelhouse, right? Why does the law say about it, man? And notice the answer of this young lawyer, this Pharisee, to Jesus. He answers him with the scripture that he's known since he was a little kid. Long before he was a lawyer, long before he was a Pharisee, the scripture. And he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, bingo, you got it exactly right. So this do, and you'll live. But the, the, the lawyer needed clarification. <laughs> Don't you love that? The fine print. And the fine print is, who's my neighbor? That's what he's asking. Uh, but he willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Is it, is it the people that live right next to me? How many houses? Down. Okay? Is it a one-mile radius? That's, that's a lot, Lord. You know, there's some rough ones in that. Maybe a half mile or a quarter mile. Who is that? And Jesus then in Luke, as Jesus is answering him, this is the opportunity for, Luke, for Jesus then to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. Look what he says. Jesus answered him, said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a accurate and a very, very accurate and a good description. Jer- Jerusalem is about, oh, I don't know, maybe 2,000 feet higher in elevation than Jericho. It's up. Jericho is down on the Jordan River Plain, actually close to the Dead Sea. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, the, the road then, uh, was a very winding, narrow back and forth to get up this elevation. And it was, an, it was, a, notorious, it was a place that was known for uh, being a great place to get robbed or, or you know, thieves. They, they loved this because there's so many, many there was so much... Um, Cover. So he says a certain man goes down from Jerusalem, Jericho, and sure enough, he got robbed. They took everything he had, and they beat him up, and they left him half dead. And Jesus said, by chance. <laughs> Don't you love that? I would just say, and boy, it was lucky, or just coincidental. And we know, we know there's not, but Jesus just said, and by chance. There came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw the man, he walked on the other side. He said, and then, same as that, there came down a Levi. And he's at that place. And he walked over and looked at the man and then went on. Now, maybe they thought he was dead. I'm, I'm giving them the best benefit of the doubt. And you can imagine this now. Uh, 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 a priest and a Levi could have been, uh, you know, it could have been on their way to Jerusalem to, for, to do their uh, ministry. But if they had touched, if they touched a dead body, then they would have been ceremonially, ceremonially, they would have, they would have been unclean for a period of time. And they would have had to, have to take, and maybe it would have affected that. I can imagine them thinking, man, if I go over there and if he's dead, then I'm gonna, it's going to mess up my, my, what I'm doing at church. Wow. Mate. And, and the, the Levi comes by and goes over and looks close, more closely. You know, you, you, he didn't get a pulse. Maybe, maybe the guy said, help me. I don't know. Anyway, neither one of them. 
the story, Jesus is getting to the next guy. And the next guy that came by said, that, but there was a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was. Now, know a little bit about the Jews and Samaritans. Jews looked at themselves as pure-blooded. A Jew married a Jew. They kept their, their bloodline pure. A Samaritans had intermarried with, there were different, different uh, nationalities that married with the Jews. They were half-breeds, triple-breeds, mongrels. I mean, they were just, every, and because of that, there was a lot of racial prejudice. The Jews looked at them as really just, just like dogs. And the Samaritans knew this. Remember the story when Jesus was at the uh, woman, met the woman at the well of Sychar in Samaria. And this was one of the things that amazed her. How, how are you, why are you here? Because Jews don't even come this way, man. We're not even worthy. So Jesus said this certain Samaritan came by. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he goes to him and he, and he binds up his wounds. He bandages him, pours oil and wine in him, puts him on his own, own animal. And he brings him to an end. And he takes care of him all that night. Made sure he made it through the night. He's going to live. The next morning, the Samaritan, before he leaves, goes to the innkeeper and gives him some money. And he said, hey, this is, uh, this is for you taking care of him. But take sure, be sure he's got his strength before you let him go. And when I come back this way, I'll stop in. And if I owe you any more, I'll make it right. Jesus tells a story. And then Jesus said to the lawyer, now, which one of these do you think was neighbor until the one that fell among the thieves. Okay? I loved Jesus asking these tough questions to doctors and lawyers and learned theologians. They're questions that even kids, we look at this and we say, duh. And that's kind of what the lawyer said. Well, it's the one that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, now go do the same thing. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we learn that loving our neighbor is not so much about where we live, but how we love. It's everybody. It's everybody that we have opportunity to come in contact with. It's everybody. And so Jesus then answering this question to this uh, Samaritan, is, is, it's, it's about loving them, loving God with all, our, with all we are, Loving people with who we are, you know, with the way that Jesus or the way that God loves us. And, and Jesus loves us in an, in an awesome way. Um, scriptures, just think about it. Um, think about Scripture when Peter, remember when Peter denied Christ? I mean, here Jesus is, is on trial. Now, I don't know, nobody here has experienced this, but I've, I've, I've watched television. I watched Perry Mason, uh, get reruns on that, uh, and, and I've watched, and I know that sometimes the, uh, the attorney for our defendant will say, uh, hey, it's important that we got your family and friends. You got any friends? Go find some friends, get them in the courtroom, because it's important for the judge or the jury to see that you've got people that stand with you. Well, on the time when Jesus was on trial... No one stood with him. Matter of fact, Peter was standing outside in the courtyard, warming himself by the fire with the soldiers and others. And at a time when he needed to be standing with him, Peter 
denied him. As a matter of fact, in using foul language, he even denied that he even knew him. Jesus was taken. He was crucified. He was buried. And Peter was left. Remember, remember Peter when he did this and when he denied him, knew him? Remember the rooster crowed? And Peter, remembering Jesus' words earlier that night when he said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you even knew me, man. Peter said, Lord, I'll never do that. These others may deny you, but I will not deny you. When the rooster crowed, Peter went out and just wept. And then imagine now, in the next day, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Peter's not got to go to him. Peter's not got to make things right. It's, it's, if you've ever had seen and had times when, when somebody has died, maybe, or something's happened, and somebody said, I didn't get a chance to make things right with them. Well, here he is. Jesus is crucified now. Peter's last time he saw Jesus was when he said, didn't even know him. And after the crucifixion and the burial, the resurrection, remember the story of when Jesus one morning early on the, on the sea, on the shore of Galilee there, Jesus had fish, and I don't remember if this time he had fish and bread or honey or whatever, had it, had it cooked, and Peter and the other disciples came, and Jesus, and Jesus offered him food. Look at how Jesus loved him. I mean, Jesus just loved him. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I mean, I'm on, it would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to say, hey, Peter, your big mouth and your big plans you remember how you said you would never deny me? How'd that go, big boy? I mean, it would have been a great opportunity for that, right? Maybe, maybe Jesus was going to said, hey, Peter, do you, you want to ask my forgiveness? Do we want need to make this right? I mean, Jesus loved him to the truth. He loved him. He didn't condemn him. Think about the other story. Think about the story of the woman who was caught, taken, she was take, take, caught in adultery in the very act. We don't know anything about the man. That's always been interesting. He, man, you well, know. But the law said they were to be stoned. Well, these same religious leaders bring her and throw her down at Jesus' feet and said, what do you say we need to do to her? The law says we need to stone her. But they thought, he, they, thought they had him there. Remember? Remember the story? Jesus stoops down and he writes in the sand. And, I don't know what he wrote, but... Then they all leave one by one, and he looks up and says, Woman, where's your accusers? She said, Lord, they're, they're all gone. What could he have said? He could have said, Been trying to get your attention about the way you've been living. You wouldn't listen to me. Dad, gum it off. See, where it, see what it got you? I mean, he could have done it, right? That's what we expect, right? What's he do? He said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus just had a way of loving people to the truth. And he has a way, I believe, with you and I of loving us to the truth. Loving God and loving others. Little course. How significant is that? Yeah. There's a little course we, we used to sing a lot of times. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another. Right? For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, what? Knoweth not God. Why? Because God is love. And then we say 1 John 4, 7, and 8, right? 
I'm thinking Jesus could have just quoted that. Yeah? This guy comes and says, what's the greatest? And he could have just sung that little chorus, beloved, let us. No, he didn't. He brought us to God's word and the truth of God's word. Loving the Lord with all our heart, all our affections, all our mind, all our attention, all our thoughts, all our will, all our ambitions, all our strength in loving others. Today, we live in a uh, crazy times. There are times of opportunity. There are times that God has chosen for you to be here and for me to be here. Okay? I mean, we can look back. I, I look back and sometimes I think, man, I'd have, I'd have been good, been born back then when you could live on the land and you farmed and all this, you know. I used to think, man, I'd been good, been born back there. And then I see these Indian cowboys and I think, man, I don't know if I'd want to be born back there. Yeah, aren't you glad that, that we trust a God who created everything that we see, everything around us? He's a creator, and we can trust him that you and I are alive right at the moment in history that he wanted us to be alive. It's not chance. It didn't just happen to be. It's by his design. Well, there's, there's, there's great opportunities before us. There's great challenges in our, in our politically correct atmosphere, people have come to believe that if you don't agree with them and with the way they think about a certain issue, you're the enemy and you're to be hated. They've come to think if Jim and I don't agree on everything, then we must be enemies and the other one's surely to be destroyed. Now, let me just tell you something. There's probably not a person in here that you're going to agree with about everything. I, I look at Jake and Marissa. They're just newlyweds. They're still looking over there. They're looking in each other's eyes. And you can just see the, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, they're so in love. But, uh, but, but, you know, they don't even agree with each other on everything. And for those of us that have been married a little bit longer than Jake and Marissa, we know we don't agree with each other on everything, right? We know we don't. But they're not our enemy, and today we look at, we look at these, these nuts up in Washington. Squirrels would have a field day there, man. And, 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 and they... And, it, and it's almost like if you can't, if you disagree, you don't want to hear what this. It's like a little kid's going, blah, 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 blah. I don't hear a thing you're saying, blah, 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 blah. This is what I believe. This is the truth. You know, we do this, this crazy stuff. It's crazy, and they're, and they're not our enemies. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard, you know, I have to keep reminding myself. Scripture says that our enemies is not people. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood. The minute we start seeing people as an enemy, we lose the battle because there's, the battles are fought in the spiritual world, in the heavenlies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. And Satan's got people so distracted and, and, and a lot of that, in my, I believe, is because as Christians, Barbie was, uh, she was second guessing. You know, you, you love people and things happen. And, uh, some, and sometimes you say, did, did, where did I fail? Did the when they were you know when they were alive did 
did I not do everything? I had this, I was close, I came in contact with this person all, all, all the time and I must have failed. Where did I fail? And we were talking this week, we had this conversation about a situation and I said, honey, can't do that. You loved them. And, and God loved them through you. Folks, that's what Jesus is saying. We love him. And when we love him with everything that's within us, then he can love others through us. And we keep loving them to the truth. Our worship and our walk, our weeping and our work are all to be, I believe, an indicator of our love for him and our love for others. I was, I was reading these verses and I was thinking, I was reading these words and I was thinking about this conversation that went on this week. And this is how I ended it. I don't know how to end it with you, just, but this is how I ended it. Lord, teach me this all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I fall so far short of that so often. And when I do, he don't, come, he don't come to me and say, you dummy. Now, he said that before. But he loves me. It's always he's loving me back to his truth. For God so loved the world. Starts with that. Jesus loves me, this I know. The first song, one of the first songs we learned, we learned. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to hear below. We are weak, but he's strong. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. What's the greatest thing we can do, Jesus? Just love God with everything that's within you. And love others. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we've uh, just taken time and kind of walked through this incident that happened, Lord, and reminded that the teachable moment came when, when you were confronted with an answer that they thought they had you. It was a gotcha moment. But it was a gotcha moment that you turned into a loving moment. And a reminder that your love can change everything. Father, just in a few moments, we're going we're gonna to sing a course about giving you our life, giving you our heart, giving you our hands, giving you our feet, giving you all of us. And Father, it's my prayer. If, if there's any here that have never done that, that this morning, maybe even as we sing the chorus or even now, that that would be by their prayer. Lord, here I am. And Father, maybe there's some like me that say, hey, you've been working on that a long time in my life, God, and, and I catch myself still loving you with most of my heart and most of my mind and a lot of my strength and a lot of my will. 
And I want that to be good enough. And I read in your word, you said, you keep throwing that word all with all our heart. And I can't talk you down out of that because you are a jealous God and you'll have no one else vying for your, our affection for you. So Father, maybe there's those just like me this morning just saying, Lord, thank you for loving me. I'm, I want your Holy Spirit, show me, teach me, grow me, love through me, love through me. Slow us down and let us love that one that's standing by the wayside that nobody's noticed. Slow us down like the Samaritan. And when we see a need and it's not convenient, let us have compassion. Lord, you be all in our life. In your name I pray.